folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we try to cut through the bias and extremism in order to find common ground that brings us together. Granted, that's not always the way it works, but hey, at <laughs> least we try, right? Do the best we can. <laughs> so today we've put together a grab bag for you guys, uh, but unlike the ones we usually do where we kind of bounce around everywhere and take pieces from here and there, uh, this one kind of has a theme. Yeah, because we're we're actually good at this and can like do like an overall narrative. We're totally not just flying by the seat of our Whatever pants. Whatever you got to tell yourself to sleep <laughs> at night, bub. So uh, speaking of narratives, the prevailing one in this country since like 2016 is that Trump and the GOP have brought our democracy to the brink of destruction. Mm. And, you know, there's people out there, whether whether it's out of, you know, fear or just gamesmanship or whatever, they engage in a lot of hyperbole and sometimes just outright lies <laughs> when talking about the Trump administration and, and, and the GOP. Fair enough. The Trump administration uh, has its own share of lies. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll get to that in just a second. But the point is, is that oftentimes you and I feel a need to push back. You know, we feel like you have to be fair handed in those things to ever convince people to, to join your side or join your cause. Right? right. But I think that's what, you know, was important for today is to kind of reaffirm that, uh, our cause does not include the Trump administration. That's you know right. What I mean, we both vehemently disagree with many of the policies and stuff that are coming out of the right. And we don't see them as just like the, the blanket substitute, you know, well, the left sucks. I'm mad at them because of this. So let's just run to the right. No, that's not the answer either. No, I don't think that's the answer at all. Um, I think it's funny. I've got a friend who sometimes listens to the show. He doesn't listen to all the episodes. We talk a lot about politics and he's heard a couple of the episodes where we've defended Trump on, you know, media bias and and Russia and has asked me several times, you know, well, what, what what's the deal? You guys you guys like Trump or something? I'm like, man, go listen to episode nine. Yeah. You know, so there's there is definitely this this weird position you're put in when you're defending someone you don't agree with. Mm. Right. And And I think that's because people are nuanced and things are nuanced. Um, and for people like you and I who are in the center and we're searching for, uh, what's best described as, as truth, um, you get put in that uncomfortable position. And there's this, there's this narrative that if you are one of those people that makes you as bad as those people that right. you're, you're enabling, yeah. you're enabling. Right. right. And, and I, I don't know how we put that narrative to bed. I think that narrative is dangerous. Um, I think it keeps us from focusing on complexities and nuance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that allows those things to get completely lost. And nuance and, and complexity are important because life is nuanced and life is complex. Uh, and so are all the issues we talk about on the show. Right. Well, I think, I think the way that we put it to bed is we keep doing what we've been trying to do. And not to say that we're perfect. And, you know, again, listeners, if, if you think that we aren't, feel free to let us know. Hit us up at the email, you know, Twitter, wherever. Uh, links are down in the show notes. But we continue to try to call balls and strikes and, you know, just be fair in each way that we deal with it. But there is something that we have to keep an eye out for. Because of the nature of the Trump beast, the Trump administration beast and what's going on with the media and all that stuff, there are ample examples every day of ways that things are being distorted about Trump. 
And sometimes when everyone is yelling all at once about all the things that Trump is is doing wrong, you're like, well, that's covered, but nobody's talking about this. Mm-hmm. And you, and you want to highlight that and say, well, yeah, I mean, we, we need to stop him from doing that, but we can't sell our souls this way to do that. So sometimes you you leave those things behind. Well, today's episode is about not leaving those things behind. <laughs> that's right. We are going to talk about those We are going to pick it up right and, there. Um, and today we're... We're going to kind of bash the right. or Yeah, at least Trump. And, and yes, somewhat the right's going to get a little bit on them, too. Yep. So uh, so let's see, where do we start? Uh, a couple weeks ago, President Trump met with Vladimir Putin in Helensky, Finland. And if you haven't heard about this, you've been living under a rock. So they met primarily to discuss various issues, uh, including Syria, Iran, and the 2016 election, and uh, probably Russian collusion (laughs) and efforts to completely demolish the United States. I don't know. Uh, But anyway, at the press conference, he was asked about Russia's involvement in the 2016 DNC hack, and Trump said in response, my people came to me, Dan Coates came to me and some others, and they said they think it's Russia. I have President Putin. He just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be, but I really do want to see the server. But I have confidence in both parties. So I have great confidence in my intelligence people. But I will tell you that President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today. Yeah, that, that's totally not mealy-mouthed or, uh, you know, playing both <laughs> sides or anything. No, he, so, you know, the, the key line there, what what everyone has just, has just gotten real upset about is where he says, I will say this, I don't see any reason why it would be. And, you know, most people took that as the president of the United States of America standing on foreign soil, standing next to a foreign leader who had engaged in an attack on our democracy uh, sitting there and being like, nah, nah, he's cool, man. My intelligence agency, they don't know what they're talking about. And, you know, people felt sold out. And I get that. You, yeah. You can't say that in that context like that. You just can't do it. See, I think it's important to point out and playing devil's advocate a little bit. I do that a lot. Uh, he did come back the next day and say he meant to say, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be Russia. And, you know, I do that a lot. I... I speak quicker than I think, hmm. and I'll say the wrong word, and I'll kick myself for it, sometimes even a day later. I do it all the time. Uh, it's been the source of some pretty funny moments for me, in fact. But doesn't matter to me, because the issue I see here is not, is not that he said, oh, would, wouldn't. The issue is that 12 indictments just came down that, that say that our Justice Department believes that 12 Russian hackers were behind the Gucci for 2.0 leaks. And, and these were the leaks uh, about, you know, from the, from the DNC hack with emails and, and documents and things. So my president, the president I want, might withhold his, his belief, right? Especially in the face of, uh, you know, say, intelligence agencies lying to get us into the Iraq war. Like, I understand some disbelief there. However... I think he should have been very clear with Putin and said, look, if if we investigate this and these indictments uh, are for real, then there's going to be trouble because I I don't think that we should tolerate foreign countries meddling uh, in our political parties. I don't Uh, you know whether or not they got into voting machines. You know, I I don't care. I know we do it to other nations 
and other nations do it, yada, yada. There are Russian hackers probing servers all over the world right now. I'm not sure what the answer is to stop that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that sending a soft message, um, you know, of, of, of tolerating that kind of behavior, I don't think that's a good idea. I think that encourages it more. Well, it becomes a question of, of what you mean and, and when it was supposed to happen, right? So by, by soft message, the question is, do you mean right there in that press conference? Because, you know, fair enough, we don't know what exactly he said to Putin behind closed doors. They had just had a closed door meeting. So also you've got to look at where we're at with like Russian sanctions and, and all that stuff. But I think that one thing that's important to remember as far as Russia is that they are not really a people and Vladimir Putin is not really a person for whom, you know, chest thumping and all that stuff necessarily works with. Mm. And actually, uh, interestingly enough, uh, the last press conference that Barack Obama gave in 2016, he expressed uh, just those sentiments, actually. And we, we have that clip and would like to play it for you guys right now. My principal goal leading up to the election was making sure that the election itself went off without a hitch, that it was not tarnished, and that it did not feed any sense in the public that uh, somehow tampering had taken place with the actual process of voting. And we accomplished that. Uh, That does not mean that we are not going to respond. It simply meant that we had a set of priorities leading up to the election that were of the utmost importance. Our goal continues to be to send a clear message to Russia or others not to do this to us because we can do stuff to you. Uh, But it is also important for us to do that in a thoughtful, methodical way. Some of it we do publicly. Some of it uh, we will do in a way that they know, but not everybody will. Uh, And I know that there have been folks out there who suggest somehow that if we went out there and made big announcements and thumped uh, our chests uh, about a bunch of stuff, that somehow that would potentially spook the Russians. But keep in mind that we already have enormous numbers of sanctions against the Russians. The relationship between us and Russia has deteriorated, uh, sadly, significantly over the last several years. And so how we approach uh, an appropriate response that uh, increases costs for them for behavior like this in the future, but does not create problems for us, uh, is something that's worth taking the time to think through and figure out. And that's exactly what we've done. So uh, at a point in time where we've taken certain actions that we can divulge publicly, we will do so. There are times where the message will go, will be directly received by the Russians and not publicized. And I should point out, by the way, part of why uh, the Russians have been effective on this is because they don't go around announcing what they're doing. It's not like Putin's going around the world publicly saying, look what we did. Wasn't that clever. He denies it. So the idea that somehow public shaming uh, is going to be uh, effective, uh, I think, uh, doesn't read uh, 
the, the thought process uh, in Russia uh, very well. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you do that. That's how you make <laughs> a, a, a statesmanlike comment that is firm and yet also acknowledges the realities of the situation. Sure. Um, is, is, you know, as many differences as I might have with Obama, light years ahead of Trump in that regard. Oh, as far as statesmanship goes, <laughs> yes, and, yeah. and public speaking. And so I've seen I've seen plenty of people make that case that you know Trump should have nailed Putin to the wall like right there in the middle of that that press conference. Oh, I kind of feel that way. I mean, and, and, I, I feel like especially in the middle of a Russia collusion investigation and and directly after these indictments were handed down and and not not for Putin and not for Russia but for the American people. I think the American people needed that from him. You you could make a case that that he should be firm, but again, I agree I agree with Obama. I mean, like it doesn't the only thing it does is, you know, put you at odds. And especially mm. like if we take Trump's, you know, Trump's alleged position is he's trying to improve relations with Russia while also being firm on this. That's thing. a good. So, point. you know, it's, it's something to consider. And again, maybe he was very firm with him behind those closed doors. I mean, nothing mm, I saw out man. in the middle of that press conference makes me makes me think that was the case. But <laughs> so I, I'm not worried about the chest thump. And what I'm worried about is what he said in the affirmative the other way. Now I know that he said, you know, I meant to say I wouldn't and all that stuff, but he didn't. He didn't correct that until like a day and a half later, and he didn't personally come out and say it and like apologize. He issued that through the White House press office, right? And and so to me, like I'm ultimately I'm I'm not buying. So my larger problem is that when I look at that, I see a jackass with almost no diplomatic abilities. <laughs> like I see a dude that's basically standing next to. A, a business partner in a new development and is just, you know, blowing smoke up his ass. Mm. Like that's, that's what I see. I see somebody afraid to even be firm. There's a big difference between thumping your chest and just being firm in that, you know, I'm not going to concede. Hey man, like my intelligence agencies say that you were all over our election, but for right now, we're focusing on this, you know, this natural gas stuff that we've got going on. We're focusing on forging a new uh, relationship going forward. We'll get to that. That's a, right. that's an unrelated issue for this venue. You know? I think if I think if Trump had taken the Obama approach, uh, I'd have been much more satisfied with the outcome. But I was kind of jaw dropped uh, watching that that press conference, um, and I I don't think I think that'll stay with me for a while. I don't think it's yeah. going to stop bugging me. No, I, and I think and and like I said, rightly so. I think it's going to bug a lot of people. And there was no, you never, you never. I mean. That that's the the fifty seven D chess and all that stuff. Like there is no earthly reason for that statement to be made in this context. You a you can't ever side against the country, like and and to, you can't even give the impression that you're siding against your own country. I mean, right. you just can't do that. So you have to be more careful in your words. But then to make that statement, like you said, with the indictments going on. That's insane. I mean, to me, I looked at it, and as far as the investigation, that told me like one of two things. Either either this man knows that he is 100% innocent and doesn't have a care in the world. So he just he's just like, I doesn't matter. You know, I can say. Or he's the world's biggest dummy, right? No, not even dummy. He's stark raving mad. Like he's insane. Because you have to know the reaction that's going to get once you get back home. You have to know that's going to ratchet up the intensity on everything. And if you did collude with Russia, 
that is the worst possible thing that you ever could have done. <laughs> I mean, so so and he's and this is a guy who cares about the optics and and who claims to know about the optics and yeah. and be a, a master manipulator of the optics. Well. Why are you doing this, man? The optics are really, really bad. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, 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 and we, see that, we see that across the board in everything related to Russia and Trump. So, I mean, the Russia investigation this entire time has been driving forward. Like you said, uh, here just you know a couple weeks ago, Rod Rosenstein handed down 12 indictments of Russian military and intelligence personnel in connection with the DNC hacks and the online persona Guccifer 2.0. That's, that's Guccifer. It's, well, we, we will let Benzo be the arbiter of that. Gucci and that? Lucifer. Gu- Guccifer. I guess it could be Guccifer. <laughs> Fine. But so, Guccifer, that's like Hong Kong goose. I don't know. It's weird, man. <laughs> Just weird. The uh, the indictments assert that the U.S. feels it has evidence beyond a reasonable doubt of Russia's involvement. Now, no Americans were included but the seeds of future indictments have definitely been planted. Not only are former Trump advisor Roger Stone and WikiLeaks referenced in the indictments, but an unnamed congressional campaign apparently sought opposition research from Guccifer for uh, the contest that they were running in. And people widely believe that that's going to turn out to be Dana Rohrabacher. But right now we don't know. It's mm-hmm. just an unnamed congressional candidate. And, and the other thing of note is that none of these indictments have anything to do with Trump. Uh, they're very tenuously tied to the election in that, uh, you know, the claim is that the documents were released in order to harm Hillary Clinton. So, you know, to, to elevate Trump. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's uh, I think that might be true, mm-hmm. um, but in no way implies collusion. Uh, right. Russia could very well, uh, you know have understood that that Hillary's camp was very anti-Russia. And of course, they want to do everything they can to prop up the candidate who is not going to be as anti-Russia. Right, right. I mean, that just, that that makes sense. And that's not to excuse Russia for doing it. Uh, not at all. But I think as we, as we see more and more things come out of Mueller's investigation, um, those kind of questions come up more and more often. It's like, yeah. okay, well, maybe Russia can be doing this on its own without collusion from, from the Trump camp. Um, but anyway, we have with this with these indictments, we have another really interesting situation where Trump is doing something or at least the Republicans are doing something completely ludicrous in the face of all of these allegations and the mist swirling. Um, and that is that the Freedom Caucus has drafted articles of impeachment for Rod Rosenstein, who handed down these indictments because he failed to answer a congressional subpoena for documents relating to Hillary's email server investigation uh, among other things, among uh, you know, improper the, handling of Carter, the Carter Page situation to get the FISA warrant that started the whole Russia shebang. Um, it's it's kind of ludicrous. I mean, how why would these guys in the midst of, a, of an investigation go? No, let's let's pull the guy at the top. I mean, that's bad optics. Yeah. Yeah. When you are attacking the person who is seemingly leading the, the charge against you, that makes you look guilty. Yes. You know, especially if you're doing it, like if it's all smoke and no fire, and believe me, it is. Uh, Paul Ryan said that he's not even going to allow the articles of impeachment to come to a vote. Let's it's DOA. Yeah. So, so it's yeah. So I mean, basically, it's it's a it's a show move. You know, they they've drafted these articles of impeachment, but for one, they know Ryan's not going to let it come to a vote in the House. For two, they know that if it did come to a vote in the House, it wouldn't pass. And for three, they know that if it went to the Senate after that, it wouldn't pass the Senate. There was no chance whatsoever of them actually impeaching Rod Rosenstein, but they did it 
just to for what? Yeah. So to why cast bother? Doubt? Why bother? Yeah. I mean, it's like so Rod issues indictments for Russian hackers in the middle of a Russian collusion case, and you guys are moving for impeachment of Rod Rosenstein. What? Trump sidesteps questions about indictments during a highly publicized one-on-one meeting with Putin himself. What? <laughs> if if Trump is guilty and the Republican Party is in on this, then why are they playing into it? I mean, either he's 100% innocent, like you said, or Putin's got video of Trump kicking dogs oh, and he's pulling bastard. puppet strings, making <laughs> him behave like a fool. I mean, I, I, he, he must have been kicking eight, nine dogs at a time. I, I can't imagine what would cause people to behave this way. No, it, it carries through like every inch of this investigation. I mean, if you're, if you're sitting on the left and you think that Trump is absolutely guilty, well, I've got some hard questions for you. And if you're sitting on the right and you think that Trump is absolutely innocent, I've still got some hard questions <laughs> That's for right. you, man, because all of this is ridiculous. Like none of it makes sense. I, I will say one of the things that, that, that is maybe a little bit easier to swallow that's recently developed with the Mueller investigation is an alleged Russian spy, Maria Butina, has been arrested recently for acting as a foreign agent on U.S. soil without informing the government. Uh, the implication is that Bettina is acting at the behest of Alexander Torzhin, a Russian politician and leader of the United Russia Party, to influence the GOP to be friendlier towards Russia through the NRA. Mm. And so, you know, investigators are digging into whether Torsion is funneling foreign money through the NRA to the Trump campaign. And none of that's you know, landed yet, right? And, and yeah, so that we're in the early stages of that. So, But I think what it shows is, like you said, there is no question, no question at all, President Trump, that Russia is trying to affect our democracy. And, and, right. I, and like you said, I get it. We've done it all around the world. However, that doesn't mean I want Russia to do it. You know right. what I mean? So, so and, and we, we have to, to make a stand. Right. We have to, we have to take a stance and we need to do something uh, to at least try to stop it. And, and heck, uh, maybe that leads to, to war. I don't know. You know, I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. Right, but right. Uh, I think a lot of people in America are going, look, this is an act of an aggression. This is an act of war. We need to respond in kind. And, and maybe they're right. I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think we can expect the Trump administration to, uh, to, to respond in kind or to, to do that or take steps towards war. I think they've been very clear um, that they're looking for a better relationship with Russia. Right, right. And then and that kind of that hems you in, in a sense, doesn't it? You know, I mean, like if you're willing to go that far, if you're willing to question your own intelligence agency when you're standing next to the Russian premier or president or whatever he's calling himself and has been duly elected, I'm sure, um, <laughs> then, yeah, you've already like you boxed yourself in the other way, right? Like you, you boxed yourself in where, you know, people say you can't take like a hard stance with Putin because, you know, he's just going to, his pride, you know, he's just going to pop back at you. Like, you know, it's basically what Obama was saying. Mm. You're not going to get any purchase trying to play hardball. Right. But at the same time, like being a kiss ass ain't helping either, man. Like there is a nuanced middle ground that Obama, Obama was a lot closer to than Trump is of <laughs> being firm. Trump is nowhere near nuanced middle ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because he doesn't know how, man. And, and, to t and, and just getting back to this Russia investigation, man, like, Every conceivable aspect of it, like, just boggles the mind. Yeah. So, it, it so does. let's, yeah, let's jump back inside the Mueller investigation. Uh, Michael Flynn has now gotten flogged for lying about calling the Russian ambassador to ask him politely not to escalate in response to Obama's Russian sanctions that he applied before he left office. Um, in other words, 
he was doing his job as the national uh, security advisor, the incoming security advisor. Right. Um, lying to investigators is his only crime. Mm-hmm. Nothing about what he actually did is illegal. Yeah. Had yeah. he not lied about it. Yeah. It makes you scratch your head. Why the heck did he lie about it? Yeah. But everything about this makes you scratch your head. Yeah. Yeah. No. So so basically, we busted Michael Flynn on technicality. Now, I'm not saying that lying to investigators is good. But I'm saying if he didn't do anything that was wrong, then why were you questioning him to Mm. begin with? Which is something that casts doubt on these sorts of investigations. When you start busting people for little, you know, little purgers or stuff, when you ask somebody, like I think at one point during the investigation, uh, they asked Carter Page for uh, documents and records going back to 2010. And he was like, hey, and, and they wanted to question him about it in like a Senate committee. And he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm just going to plead the fifth because you're talking about 2010. I might perjure uh, yeah, myself. I'm going to say like, something you know, it's, messed it's up. It's 2017, 2018, buddy. I mean, that's seven years ago. Yeah, I, I got know. the worst memory in the plan. I cannot imagine being in front of, like, <laughs> a, a, you know, Congress giving testimony because I'd flub shit. Yeah. I'd flub stuff constantly over and over. So the conventional wisdom here is that Flynn, who pled guilty in December of 2017, is he, I mean, by all accounts, he is cooperating with the Mueller investigation, right? right? But here's the thing. Flynn is giving every indication that he's walking scot-free. It appears that he has cut his deal, but meanwhile, Flynn has already, like, taken a job for after sentencing, and he's asking Mueller to go ahead and get the sentencing over with. They just recently met in court, and Flynn's attorneys asked for the judge to start the, the process for going ahead and getting him sentenced. Now, what does that mean? If he's still relevant to the investigation, you don't sentence him yet. So if, if Flynn is like, if Flynn obviously thinks he's done, that he's turned over whatever he's turned over, we don't know what that might be. But at the same time, like going forward, when the big fish start dropping, there's no need for Flynn. So, mm. you know, is Flynn a Bond show or not? We have no idea. We just have to wait and find out. Exactly. Um, So moving on to Michael Cohen, who has been caught up in a tax fraud investigation relating to the Stormy Daniels payoff. Uh, And sources close to Cohen are saying that uh, he wants to talk to Mueller to testify that Trump knew about a Trump Jr. meeting with Natalia Veselnitskaya, a Russian lawyer. You nailed that one. Ah, in an attempt to acquire damaging dirt on Hillary Clinton. And, you know, what's what's really interesting about that is apparently Trump's team may be the one who leaked that Cohen is trying to cut a deal with Mueller <laughs> to say that because none of this makes sense. No, no. Uh, uh, Cohen's lawyers are saying that they're not the ones who leaked the information that Cohen is seeking to talk to Mueller. And here's the other thing about Cohen. You don't do it this way. And Cohen's a lawyer and he knows. And he what, knows what do yeah. I mean by that? I mean, when you're trying to turn state's evidence or cooperate in an investigation, you do not let the juicy tidbits that you're going to be testifying about slip out. And you certainly don't let them slip out in a story that says you're trying to contact Mueller to cut a deal. Right. Because the story says that Cohen has no corroborating evidence other than his testimony. So it looks like in a sense that he's just trying to cut a deal to save his own skin. Right. Here we are again. Could go this way, could go that way. (laughs) Who the hell knows? Who knows? That's right. Um, And not only do we have Cohen and Flynn caught up on, uh, you know, some, some, dare I say it, nothing burgers, uh, but Carter Page has gotten called out for meeting with a Russian agent in an attempt to acquire possible damning dirt on Hillary Clinton yet again. 
Uh, this was part of the initial justification for the FISA warrant that kicked off the whole Russia investigation. Uh, I say called out because to date, Page hasn't been charged with anything. And, he, and he's the beginning. He's the beginning of the investigation in a sense. And he still hasn't been charged with anything. Now, maybe, maybe Mueller is thinking that Carter Page is one of the people involved in this that just really needs to fry. Yeah. And so he's saving him. He's going to hit him with the good stuff. That could be the case, but I, it doesn't really make sense. We're talking about a low-level advisor. And just put pressure on him, dude. If you've got him, throw the book at him, bring him in there, get your guilty plea, and turn him. Yeah. That dude will turn. I promise you that guy will turn. I'll tell you who's not turning. And that's Paul Manafort. Yeah, that's right. So, so Paul Manafort, a hire that's that's so insane. Paul Manafort, for years, everyone has known as in bed with the Russians. There are conservative pundits that will tell you that Paul Manafort came to them on behalf of the Russians and asked them to write pro-Russia uh, annexing Crimea and the Ukraine pieces. Right. Everyone who's in the know knows that Paul Manafort is a dirty dude, right? So sure enough, he's been, and Trump hires him as a, as a campaign manager. What sense does that make if you're colluding with Russia? <laughs> but fair enough, let's talk about the investigation. Mueller has got him. He's got him dead to rights. He's got him on million dollars in money laundering. He's got him on Monday laundering and, and it involves his pro Russia work. Monday laundering. That's, that's what you do. Are, are we going to quibble about that? Dirty. Dirty. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> um, he's got him on for pro Russia work involving the Ukraine. Guess what he doesn't have him on? Anything involving Trump. If you're flipping somebody, right? Everybody thinks that Manafort's going to flip on Trump. Again, I say you get them to plead to something that establishes the conspiracy that they're going to flip on. Right. So he would he would plead to something that establishes that he was a part of some conspiracy that he can then nail Donald Trump for. As of now, he has not been charged with anything that has anything to do with Russia, Trump, and collusion. He's only been charged with the money. Well, now he's also been charged with jury tampering. Because Paul jury Manaf tampering? Yeah, because Paul Manafort is a bad dude. And how you ever <laughs> hired him to be your campaign manager is beyond me. No, no, let's just keep doing it. How about Papadopoulos? Yeah. You yeah. want to talk about, yeah, Papadopoulos. There's some, mo some smoke there. Yeah, he gets popped lying to investigators. Turns out he absolutely did try to arrange a meeting through a Russian professor in an attempt to once again acquire that damning dirt on Hillary Clinton. And, and that would be illegal if it happened. Here's the problem. It didn't. The meeting never coalesced. Hell no, it didn't. And it turns out that the professor was like some form of triple agent. Like he, he, he worked for Russia, but he also kind of worked for us. So I immediately went running to investigators and said something. So, so basically we got Papadopoulos saying to a triple agent, Hey man, if you got any dirt on Hillary, come talk to me. And that's it. Yeah. So all, all of these stories that are coming out of the Mueller investigation, they do share something in common and that is Russia. Uh -huh. They're all loosely related to Russia. But what else do they have in common? Well, none of them fit the narrative of the Mueller investigation itself. Uh, tell me this. If the Trump campaign actually is, is colluding with Russia, say, to hack the DNC and get that damning dirt on Hillary Clinton, then why the hell are these members of his campaign being offered dirt on Hillary Clinton by Russians? Why are they trying to arrange meetings to acquire dirt they already have? Right. According to the narrative, they're colluding, right? 
There's no need for a Russian professor or a Russian lawyer to offer up this information. Is is Trump just like this 57D chess master? He's actually colluding with Russia, but his cabinet, they're just they're just bumbling around looking for yeah, information that they them, already have. None of them know, so they're stumbling into all did, these these guilty meetings. You did know? he did he convince Papadopoulos Carter Page and his own son? to sacrifice themselves so I could make this argument on the show. Like <laughs> I don't get it. Is Mueller, is Mueller going to hit the jackpot one of these days? And like someone actually did hook up with a Russian and do some colluding. And we're just seeing like the early tentacles of that reach out. It's very like, possible. I can't imagine that it happened so late. Um, you know, I mean, soon after these meetings, all those leaks were dropped to WikiLeaks. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I don't know what to think anymore, man. I'm, I'm mind blown. Uh, we know Russia is running Twitter bots. They are absolutely creating Facebook propaganda. They have absolutely tried to hack uh, all kinds of stuff. They absolutely, according to these indictments, which I tend to believe, yeah, uh, absolutely. they absolutely hacked the DNC and released a whole bunch of damning dirt on Hillary Clinton. But where is the collusion? Right. Mueller, man, you've got to give us something because... I, for one, I'm going nutty over here <laughs> and I'm starting to like look at these pieces that you're putting out and I'm starting to believe him when he says it's a witch hunt. Yeah. Well, that's actually another question I have. If, if Trump, when Trump stood next to Putin and said what he did about the intelligence agency, everybody was frothing at the mouth, right? They were ready to go. So if you're Mueller, all right, and you know that everybody just watched Trump basically indicate that he's in bed with Putin on global television, why wouldn't you drop whatever indictment you have? Oh, even, if you got if something? Yeah. Even if you're not ready to conclude the investigation, wrap it up and do everything, just kick us kick us a juicy indictment or something. And I swear to God, we'd probably be talking about impeachment oh, the next proceedings day. like, like the this next week. Day. If it would have happened was, that It next was day, close yeah. over, the, over the summit. Yeah. In Helsinki. It was yeah. close. No, people were ready to go. People on the right and the left got extremely upset about that. Absolutely. So... It, I'll tell you what. Here, let me let me let me give you another monkey wrench. No, right? don't do that. No, no. Let me let me give I'm, you another I'm monkey flipping wrench. out over here. No, too bad, man. Uh, you remember Velenitskaya, right? The 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 chick who met with Don Jr. and Manafort and Kushner and and everybody in the Trump campaign except Trump himself had no knowledge of that meeting whatsoever. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it turns out she also met with one of the co-founders of Fusion GPS before and after that meeting. What? Wait. wait yeah. No. That's wait, wait. no. And get this. She was only here because of a visa that she got through the Obama State Department that went through a special process that was outside the normal visa process. Why would Fusion GPS, that's the company that produced the initial steel dossier. Yes. Like the one that Hillary Clinton's camp paid for. Right. Uh, the one that kind of spawned this Russian investigation led to the FISA warrant with Carter Page. Right. Uh, what? I tell you, man, look, that that blows my mind. What are people going to do on the left if this turns out to be just a big nothing burger? And I, I give it right back to you. What are people going to do on the right if every single bit of this is true? Because I'm telling you, man, I'm looking at this and I have no idea, dude. Here's it could the, swing either way. Here's the deal. I, I don't know if I'm just being contrarian or all this is over my head and I'm, I'm missing what I should be seeing. But when I look at the Russian collusion case, I see a lot of shady stuff, but I still don't see that smoking gun. 
why would, again, why would Trump hire Manafort to begin with? Makes man? no sense. I can make a case to justify it. I can. I can sit here and I can talk real pretty. But it seems like everybody and their mom knew that he was dirty. So why would you hire him unless you're in bed with Russia? Wait a minute. Let me flip that around. Why would you hire him if you were in bed with Russia? Because that's the first red flag that says you're in bed with Russia. Everywhere I turn, when I look at this thing, there is a contradiction like that. And another thing that's kind of bubbled up to the surface during this whole thing, I have serious problems with the ironclad faith that people have all of a sudden developed for the intelligence agencies. Let's Set aside for just a second my theories on the Kennedy assassination <laughs> or anything else that's still somewhat speculative. These are the agencies that launched COINTELPRO, MKUltra, the Tuskegee syphilis experiments. They're the agencies that drew up Operation Northwoods mm. and Operation Mockingbird. Do mm. I think that every member of these agencies are in some overarching deep state plot? No, I don't. That's crazy. But at the same time, let's not whitewash them and act like they've never gone astray or been used improperly to right. achieve political gains because they most certainly have. They tried to frame Martin Luther King, yo. I mean, wow. at times they are bad people, man. And, and so at the end of the day, it comes down to this. If Trump colluded with Russia to subvert our democracy, let's fry his ass. Get him let's, out. Let's go get him. And I'm going to tell you what. If he didn't, I'm glad that he didn't. But he still handled himself and the presidency like someone who has no respect for the office. He still intentionally, intentionally, by any stretch of the imagination, been the most purposefully divisive president we've ever seen. And I want his ass gone in 2020. But all of this, I'm done speculating on this garbage. I'm, I'm done with it. And when Mueller is ready to show me what he's got, we'll go from there. Until then, piss on this shit, man. <laughs> Theory, I don't think I've ever seen you so mad on the show. Well, I hate him and I hate all of this. So, yeah, we're back after a brief recess. I've fanned Theory down. He's cooled off a little bit. I just I just had to compose myself. <laughs> and I think we're going to move on to talk about uh, tariffs. Another oh, cool. Yeah. great strategy of the Trump campaign and one which I'm sure Theory will be perfectly capable of keeping his cool <laughs> yeah, I don't, through the whole discussion. Here's something else I don't have any strong opinions about. No, uh, so yeah, recently uh, the U.S. has levied $34 billion in tariffs on Chinese goods, and China is retaliating tit for tat. Um, Trump has indicated that he is willing to put tariffs on the entirety of China's exports to America, <laughs> which would be around $500 billion worth of goods. Um, and, you know, I don't know if there's a silver lining, I guess it's that China would eventually be una unable to respond in kind as it only um, imports $130 billion worth of goods from us. So, so to play devil's advocate for a second, this is this seems like the culmination of Trump's entire strategy, right? I mean, that $370 billion imbalance is his leverage, right? I mean, the grand idea is that driving up the cost of Chinese imports will make prices for American manufacturers competitive again, uh, and and maybe we'll start manufacturing cheap Chinese goods in America, right? You Okay, you, you would almost have a case, maybe in a limited sense, if we hit China with some tariffs and we were like, hey, back off of these practices, because we're upset about them them dumping things on us, and especially steel. Yeah, we right? talked about steel. We talked about uh, the, the solar panels and stuff. <laughs> yeah, they dump stuff on us. It drives down the cost, hurts our business, and all that stuff. So in a limited sense, as much as I hate tariffs, if you slapped a couple tariffs on it, it was like, hey, back off, 
and you know kind of got everybody to you know the the EU uh our NAFTA partners you know other people in Asia to put pressure on China and be like hey we're all kind of sick of you doing this then yeah you could bring China to heel and everything would be fine but we're talking about Donald Trump so <laughs> what did he do he's willing to put tariffs on everything that China imports here so of course China's going to hit back at us as hard as they can as long as they can they filed a complaint with the World Trade Organization. Mm -hmm. And then to top it all off, he just decided he's going to start slapping tariffs on everybody. So now he's slapping tariffs on Canada. He's slapping tariffs. He tried to slap tariffs on the EU. So he's basically, instead of posing China as the bad guy and building a coalition that would put pressure on China to get them to stop doing what they're doing. He's letting them off the hook by making it look like they're just the victim of this tariff slapping <laughs> bully that's hitting everybody with no regard for what's going. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, it, it doesn't get us anywhere. And that's kind of the problem with tariffs. And, and there's a, there's a bipartisan effort right now to kind of stop this trade war, right? It's not yeah. just Democrats going, Whoa, this is a terrible idea. I think, uh, I think most of the country has agreed that tariffs are a terrible idea for many, many years right, right. Uh, since before the Great Depression, right? Yeah. So yeah. Orrin Hatch, a Republican senator from Utah, yeah. is kind of spearheading the effort that's building steam in Congress. Um, and it's not likely to reach a vote until later. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, mounting opposition from from both sides is is really getting moving. We've had uh, plenty of opposition from from businesses in America. Yeah. Um, Canada, Japan, the EU, they're all widely condemning it. Uh, Harley Davidson, Alcoa, GM, General Electric, Tyson Foods, Coors, Black & Decker, Toyota, Sunoco, Procter & Gamble, Alpha, PPG, and Electrolux have all reported losses uh, or needs to resuscitate their supply chains in order to deal with the trade war. So what who's he helping well that's that's the question right that this whole thing sits on a faulty premise and it's that trade deficits are necessarily bad and necessarily a result of the foreign trade partners policies right mm. but that's not the case like that that's a very simple explanation like oh okay well well you know china is importing less of our stuff than we're importing of theirs so china must be doing something to keep us down they are doing things to keep us down, but a number of factors go into a trade deficit. Domestic spending decisions are a huge factor that creates a trade deficit. What if companies are saving money rather than investing it? Well, then, you know, that's changing the nature of the money that's flowing between us and China. Okay. So there's a question on whether or not, you know, tar the, the tariffs like ultimately will offset those spending decisions and reduce that trade deficit. So if that's all you're really aiming to eliminate, which that's widely what he said, he said, I'm going to restore American manufacturing, get rid of this costly trade deficit and all this stuff. You may not do that. And as far as restoring American manufacturing, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me give you a perfect case in point. Um, I'm going to quote this from the Wall Street Journal. After the Trump administration announced new tariffs on imported washing machines in January, Mark Blitzer, the chief executive of Whirlpool Corp., celebrated his win over South Korean competitors LG Electronics and Yay. Samsung Electronics. He said, this is without any doubt a positive catalyst for Whirlpool. Hooray! <laughs> Six months later, the company's share price is down 15%. Boo! 
<laughs> so uh, one factor is a separate set of tariffs on steel and aluminum imposed by the U.S. in March and later expanded that helped drive up Whirlpool's raw material costs. Net income, even with the added benefit of a lower tax bill, was down $64 million in the first quarter compared with a year earlier. And it's not just it's not just Whirlpool. It's not just manufacturing. U.S. farmers were hit especially hard by these tariffs. Uh, they've seen the price on machinery, fertilizers, and pesticides rise, and they're struggling to sell their goods on foreign markets. And it's all because of this tariff yeah. plan. So in response, the Trump admin is issuing a $12 billion aid package to farmers to help offset the damages that the Trump admin himself had created. <laughs> no, this, it's, is, this is bananas to me because, and, and it, maybe it's a little off topic, but the amount of cognitive dissonance on display and the way people are dealing with that cognitive dissonance is, is absolutely awe-inspiring to me. Uh, on the one hand, I've seen anti-Trump folks trot out all of the classic right-wing arguments against welfare to talk <laughs> about how they don't think these farmers need it, etc. On the other hand, you've got MAGA hat-wearing Farmer John yeah. having to justify taking welfare after railing against welfare yeah. for the last 48 years. Yeah. <laughs> no, and they're squirming and squealing. It's great. Both sides are. It's completely reversed the, the tip. And instead of being ideologically consistent, I mean, what is wrong if you're on the left with saying, well, no, I'm, I'm glad that the farmers are struggling. And I think that we, sh you know, let's give them the money. I mean, make no bones about it. Trump created this mess and he needs to do something about the tariff policy. However, this is what I stand for. When people are in trouble, mm. the government helps. Like, there's nothing wrong with saying Well, that. and I think, I think his base gets to look at this um, through an odd lens and say, well, left, you're all for welfare, but when it's American farmers, yeah. you drop the hammer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's a really weird position. Maybe, maybe this is a perfect example of, of 57D chess. Yeah. You know, maybe he saw all this coming. I doubt it. I highly um, doubt it. What I do hope, though, is that both sides use this as an opportunity to kind of get inside each other's heads for a second. Like, I hope Farmer John with the MAGA hat goes, well, through no fault of my own, uh, you know, now here I am in the poorhouse. Gosh, yeah. I sure am glad the American government could bail me out. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, finally, just to kind of bring tariffs to a close for today anyway. Uh, so the first victory supposedly for Trump's, you know, tariff policy is that the EU has come to the table and agreed to, you know, negotiate a trade deal and lower tariffs on things. And, and so Trump is touting that, that it was tariffs that brought them to the table and all that good stuff. Here's the only problem with that, is that the EU just signed a trade deal with Japan that they wanted us to be a part of. And right now, granted, we have not seen the finished trade deal between the U.S. and the EU, but right now there is no reason to suspect that anything is going to be different than what we would have gotten out of the EU Japan. So trade essentially, deal. he turned down that trade deal, so that and and then and then amped up the tariffs and is now saying, well, they're coming to the table because of the tariffs when because, they were already at the table to begin. Right, with. right. He's saying like, oh, I'm just such a great deal maker. See, I, I the art of the deal. I know what I'm doing, wheeling and dealing. They they were pretty much, you know, it's like for instance Trudeau in Canada back in May said, hey, you know, China is using Canada to to dump steel and everything. We will spend $30 million to help crack down on, you know, illegal Chinese steel coming through Canada. Okay. Stuff. Trump still put tariffs on. 
Why? Because it's more important to him that he's the reason that a deal got made than him and Trudeau just coming together and saying, hey, let's get some stuff done. Right. You know, so. Well, maybe he's got the optics right on this one. Not not the methods, but maybe he's got the well, optics when, right for his base. When least. Harley Davidson starts relocating factories, then we'll see if the optics are right. You know? Fair enough. Uh, so moving on, uh, there's been a push recently by conservatives in a number of states to pass bills aimed at protecting free speech on campus. Uh, the bills are based in part, if not entirely, on model legislation that's been proposed by the Goldwater Institute. And for those of you who haven't followed this closely, uh, there's an increasing number of speakers who are being deplatformed or disallowed from speaking at state universities and colleges. A lot of times they're conservative voices being accused of hate speech. Uh, you got like Richard Spencer, your Mayo Yiannopoulos's. Uh, other times it's musicians. Uh, George Washington College and Trinity College both deplatformed or shouted down uh, Action Bronson, who is a hip hop artist. At Trinity, more than 1,300 students signed a petition that stated allowing Action Bronson to perform at spring weekend would create a psychologically harmful and drastically unsafe space for women, LGBTQIA plus students, and survivors of sexual assault. Uh, a panel led by a Eugene Volok was shouted down from L UCLA because students claimed that by encouraging civil discourse, the panelists were not dealing with the reality we're facing right now with respect to fascism. And and Eugene Volok was, uh, I don't know if I'm saying he's, that right, he's, yeah. he's an attorney, right? He's a lawyer. He's a, well, he's a respected law professor. Yeah, and in fact... Uh, members on that panel included a historian from the National Holocaust Museum and one of the assistant editors at the uh, L.A. Times. So the narrative right now is that conservative voices are being deplatformed in mass. Uh, and luckily for us, FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, has actually tracked deplatforming attempts uh, among many years. The, the link is in the show notes. I encourage you guys to go look through and see what People are actually being deplatformed for. It was quite enlightening. Uh, what we found after looking through that database is that between 2013 and 2018, that's the last five years, there's about three times as many conservative speakers being deplatformed by the left uh, as liberal speakers being deplatformed by the right. Of, of note, though, is that if you kick it back to like the Bush era, especially during the Iraq war, that proportion was in the opposite. I mean, you saw just liberal speaker after liberal speaker being deplatformed by, you know, Republican. That's right. And in my opinion, this, regardless of, of who the deplatforming is currently being applied to, this is not a partisan issue at all. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a free speech issue. A state college is a public forum and administrators, students, whatever, have absolutely no business discriminating on who's going to show up and speak to speak based on their political beliefs. Right. Um, but they do. And that's why we're looking at this campus free speech bill right now. Yeah, that's I definitely agree with you. I think that there is no way for anybody to deny that we're seeing uh, a resurgence. You know, I did allude to the fact that it had happened, you know, kind of flowing the other way back during the uh, the Iraq war and the Bush era. But we're definitely seeing a resurgence now and over things like, you know, you mentioned Eugene Volok and, and they were talking about just being civil with each other. And for that, they got shouted down. That is beyond the pale. That's yes. a conversation we can't have. So there's definitely a problem. 
But we come to what do Republican legislators and the Goldwater Institute want to do about it? Well, let's outline what they're trying to do. Uh, first off, Goldwater's legislation uh, aims to create an official university policy that strongly affirms the importance of free expression, nullifying any existing restrictive speech codes in the process. It prevents administrators from disinviting speakers, no matter how controversial, whom members of the campus community wish to hear from. It establishes a system of disciplinary sanctions for students and anyone else who interferes with the free speech rights of others. Oof. It allows persons whose free speech rights have been improperly infringed by the university to recover court costs and attorney fees. And it ensures that students will be informed of the official policy on free expression. So, again, while I can understand being concerned about the anti-free speech attitudes being expressed on college campuses today, I'm, I'm not sure that legislation is the way to fix this puppy. Well, I'm not exactly so sure. Um. I mean, if state campuses are abusing their political power to support their own biases, like what else can we really do to fix this besides using the state? Well, I'll, t I'll tell you what, we'll get to what else we can do to fix it here in just a second. But before that, let's let's dig into the bill and discuss it. And, and maybe I'll, I'll kind of highlight like what's bothering me about. OK, it. Um, now we have to be upfront here. We're talking about an array of bills being based off this one model legislation. So. There's there's a bill in Georgia that's called the Campus Free Speech Act, a bill in Wisconsin that's called the Campus Free Speech Act, and a bill in Arizona. And they all share elements with this model legislation, but none of them are perfect copies. And they're not perfect copies of each other. And there's a number of states, you know, I mentioned three, but uh, Tennessee's got one, I think, uh, maybe Washington State's trying to pass one. You know, they're they're all around the country right now. So... We're dealing with things that show up a lot in those bills, but no, I cannot promise you that every state has adopted that version of this bill. Right. So um, in general, I have three issues with the approaches here, and it's the lawsuits, the punishment, and the mandatory orientation meetings. In regard to the lawsuits, these bills include provisions that allow a student who feels their free speech rights have been abridged to sue free from reprisal of a countersuit. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Since the bills more or less mandate that any speaker invited by a student has to be accepted and that equal accommodation must be afforded all speakers in regards to venue, it's not hard for me to imagine situations where publicity-seeking speakers set up intentionally inflammatory speaking engagements in the hopes of finding some minor flaw <laughs> with the university's compliance. And then, you know, that lets them launch some largely some frivolous lawsuit. Huge lawsuit, and then they, you know, they don't, uh, they're not responsible for... Uh, the the other side's legal well, fees. Yeah, there's there's no to penalty to it for them. Yeah. Okay. So you know that's not to mention that as written, the model provision and some of the adopted ones seem to disallow any criteria to be set, even nonpartisan criteria to be set for the speakers. So Ooh. so what does this all mean? This means that I can, as a student at UCLA, I can invite Alex Jones. He gets to show up and do everything he can to be difficult and incite violence, while the university or the taxpayers, let's be honest about where the university's money comes from, are on the hook for his security costs and possibly subject to a costly lawsuit that win or lose is just going to help his image. So oftentimes there's these student organizations like Young Americans for Freedom or something that bring these speakers in. So I can see them bringing Alex Jones in, him, you know, 
having these requirements or, you know, like uh, they need all this security and stuff. And some of it's him and some of it's, you know, on the protesters who are causing being difficult this. and changing his schedule. And yeah. saying, oh, well, nope, nope. Next Thursday. Yeah. And he oh, finds nope, nope. it's going to be next week, folks. He finds this little catch, something they did to him that they didn't do to a liberal speaker. And so now he gets to file a lawsuit and say, hey, they're trying to suppress Alex Jones. And whether he wins or loses that lawsuit now, now let me be clear. He would have to file it through the Young Americans Foundation, but I think Infowars is willing to spend money for that sort of publicity. Yeah, that's huge—a huge amount of publicity. And and I think it's, I think it's a travesty anytime we take away uh, the power of an administration, whether it be of a college, whether it be a judge, um, anyone who has the power of discretion. Mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of of completely removing discretion. Right. So if we're gonna say. Colleges, you can have no standards about your speakers. Like, that's messed up to me. Nah, yeah. you should be able to keep out the rabble and the obvious riffraff. At the same time, I don't think you should be able to just keep them out because they're a conservative speaker yeah. or just keep them out because you don't like their ideas, especially if the students uh, you know, want those ideas represented on their campus. Um, the other thing that I think is a little weird is that I, I tend to side for rules that are for the little guy. And that's kind of how I see uh, the rule about being immune to the countersuit, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think a student who feels like his free speech rights have been violated is looking at whether he's going to file a lawsuit. And if he's looking at $80,000 in in the other side's legal fees, if he's wrong, like I feel like that chills his opportunity uh, to actually file and may actually be, you know, chilling free speech in that case, or at least yeah. chilling the idea of fighting back for it. Well, that's a good point. And I think, I think it could definitely happen in some instances, but you know, you just said that you're a big fan of discretion. And oftentimes in a case like that, the judge has the discretion on whether or not the, the defending side can go to the accusing side for court costs. Okay. You know, they get right. to say so this judge, was completely frivolous or yeah. this had merit. He just didn't win. So this protection really isn't needed at all and almost only sets up a loophole yeah. uh, for people to abuse. Like if the judge can go, no, this was a perfect valid suit, perfectly valid suit, and this is why you lost, yeah. you're not going to recoup your your lawyer's fees, you know, right. then then judge already has that yeah. power. And, and, and granted, I mean, you can make the case that they're protecting you from a terrible judge. You you could still be subject to terrible judges or judges who think that Milo Yiannopoulos has no merit on a, on a you know what I mean? So, so that would be their argument for that defense. But I think overall, I think we, we, we have to kind of, we have to side with the the discretion. I think giving judges discretion is is the best thing to do in a case like that. Yeah, like, or even given the administration that's, that's what some they're discretion. There for. And yeah, and definitely give them some discretion. Yeah. So the the bill also calls for mandatory freshman free speech orientation sessions. <laughs> yeah, this, man. This kind of blows my mind. Um, I think we talked about it a little bit, and and you know this is the same kind of reason we both have a problem with these mandatory diversity training sessions. Yeah. Yeah, no. It, so should students be aware of the university's policy on free speech? Absolutely. In fact, most of them have student handbooks, right? So how about during normal orientation, we just say, hey, you guys should look at the free speech. I definitely don't need some guy or or whoever teaching someone this is how you should feel about free speech. This is how you should feel about diversity if right. you're going and, to attend this university. And that's the way that's the way these things typically go is that they'll set up 
uh, a curriculum and they'll send their people to go talk about it in the way they want it represented. Right. And that's not okay with me. Like yeah. I, I don't feel like that's okay on any level at all. Yeah. I don't, I don't have, I don't have a lot of sympathy for anything that bears a resemblance to a re-education seminar. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what this thing is. I mean, call it what it fair is. Fair enough. Fair the, enough. The major flaw for me in this is the punishment uh, stipulation. So as for punishment, the law state that students who receive two or more complaints about disrupting speeches or shouting them down could be subject to a year suspension or expulsion. So I think folks who disrupt or shut down speakers should absolutely be removed by police or yep. security if they won't stop disrupting the event. That's right. But now we're talking about expulsion. So look, look at this right wing. What have you done now? You're chilling those students rights to counter protest. Yep. I think the right to publicly and vocally dissent is very important. That's like half of the right of free speech right <laughs> yeah, there. There's that's, a limit to it. That's half of the reason for free speech. I mean, yeah. if we're treating state colleges and universities as a public forum, uh, then you're welcome to come show up and voice your opinion too. But do it respectfully and civilly. To me, it goes right back to something that I've said before on the show, and that's if you're repeatedly yelling while a speaker is trying to give a talk, that becomes harassment. Yeah. We already have laws for that. Like We don't need more laws for that. If you're forcefully blocking an exit or an entrance to a public building, we've got pedestrian interference. We've got assault disturbing the peace or hell our favorite catch-all disorderly conduct yeah, yeah. like the problem is that those laws aren't being enforced and yeah. and it's and it's like yelling fire in a crowded theater to me sure there are there are walls for for where that free speech stops and one of those walls is if you are at an event that that a speaker is is speaking and you are yelling repeatedly keeping him from speaking like yeah go ahead and yell mm -hmm. say what you've got to say but at a point that becomes harassment. Right. At a point that becomes disorderly conduct, and and our police officers should be well enough trained uh, to to know the difference and 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 pull these people from the event. Hey, you yeah. don't even have to arrest them. No, just and that's, remove them. Just kick them out. No, actually, that's that's a point I'd like to make. I mean, laws, yeah, but we actually already have these free speech policies like in place. Not the Goldwater Institutes, but for instance. Um, there was an event in, uh, I believe, at the University of Wisconsin, uh, either last year or the year before. It's kind of the famous one where Ben Shapiro got shouted down. Well, one of the administrators before the event read out the University of Wisconsin's free speech policy. And it basically says that you can't shout people down. If you do, you'll be removed from the venue and you know, yada, yada. So then the students started to shout him down and the administration did nothing. In fact, they told this, the campus security to stand down. Right. So it's not a problem that we don't have laws. It's a problem, like you say, that we're not using them. Oh, yeah, and, laws or the policies that and exist. So now I've got to look at, do we need a new law or can we just use the laws that we already have properly, right? The The problem with this new law is it talks about restoring balance, right? Like the the in the preamble to the law, it says that we have to restore a balance. The conservatives are basically being crapped on. They don't say conservatives, but that's that's what they mean. Let's Goldwater Institute is named after Barry Goldwater. Let's not kid ourselves, right? <laughs> so, but um, but to me, that's as misguided as you know other initiatives that I'm sure the Goldwater Institute doesn't like at all that seek to create equality of outcomes mm. instead of equality of opportunity, right? Like. 
we can we we don't aim for making sure that Alex Jones gets lifted up to the level of you know Heather Heyer or Charles Murray or people who have degrees and have something to say of merit. You know what I'm saying? The idea is to keep these instances of discrimination from happening when they arise, right? And punish those. And I think we would be much better served focusing in on that if and when people cross the line in voicing their dissent, then absolutely, let's hit them with everything that we got on the books. But let's not gift undue credibility to charlatans and publicity mongers while simultaneously creating a new class of regulations that are most certainly going to be manipulated and leveraged in political squabbles. Oh, there's I mean, no you, way you know you that's going to happen. You can't read this bill and think that there's not some seriously shady shit to follow. You can't yeah, do it. You, yeah. you just, you can't. It doesn't make any sense. So I asked you earlier, like, what else can we do about it? And I, I think what we're doing about it is, is what we do about it, right? We talk yeah, about it. And, exactly. and we need the students at these places to understand why civility is important. Why is it important not to go shout down Ben Shapiro, even if you think, whatever he's saying is ruining America. Because here's mm -hmm. a hint, man. He thinks what you're saying is ruining America. Yeah. And when when power shifts and we start accepting that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna allow our legislators to make these laws that have loopholes and they have, you know, hidden provisions and 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 things that we may not see until 10 years down the line, we're just screwing ourselves. Yeah. We're screw we're really hanging ourselves. Like that's why when we talk about civility and why it's important civility makes this whole thing go away yeah to me it make very much so makes and i'm not saying don't go protest i'm not saying don't go hold your sign i'm saying when when you cross the line to harassment or assault um mm -hmm. or hell even disorderly conduct you're you're breaking a law man Th these are the laws that we have to keep everything working mm -hmm. and you know if you just want to throw a wrench in and make it all break down like you know, go ahead, but I don't think it's going to break down in the way you think. Yeah. I think the breakdown is going to result in all of us losing out, you know, losing out on our freedoms, losing out on our ability to explore messages uh, and and find other ways of dealing with problems and, and getting better as a society. Yeah, I think that sunlight, as is often the case in, in, a, in a lot of these things, is the best disinfectant. Mm. If there is one part of the Goldwater Institute's bill that I like, it's that it calls for the board of trustees to issue a report yearly on how the administration of the university has handled speakers, handled deplatformings, handled arranging events, security, okay. and all that stuff. That in and of itself, by itself, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. And because I think that is how we fix it. Not only preaching to each other and talking to each other about civility and trying to get everybody to take a, a breath and take a step back. But when we see that discrimination, let's get vocal about that. And the best way to spot that discrimination is by adding transparency. Right. You right. Know? Yeah. So, so, so the students can, can see when they're entering university, uh, how the administration's handled it and they can voice their opinion to the administration. Yeah. Cause really that's how all of this stuff has come about. It's not generally the administration saying, oh, let's keep this guy out. It's students approaching the administration saying, we want this guy out. Right. Um, right. So to me, that's where it starts. It starts with with educating those students. Yeah. Um, and, and hell, giving them giving them some transparency. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. But taking so taking a step back, like what does this what does this bill like mean? It's to me, this is your classic overcorrection. Mm -hmm. So here we are. There's a problem. I think it's a very real problem in that people among the left 
are shouting down speakers or trying to, you know, call speech hate speech and, and abridge people's First Amendment rights. And here's the right overcorrecting <laughs> and creating something that can be used as a club against other people later. You and, know what I mean? And very much so also abridges people's free yeah. speech rights. No, very absolutely. much so. And so that's why, like, that's that dichotomy that we were talking about that just that just keeps us ping-ponging back and forth. Nothing's getting done. We right. keep creating problems and then creating problems to fix those problems. Right. When we're in this fervor, no one wins. I mean, yeah. that's just, you cannot, we can't find meaningful solutions. You want another good example? Let's talk about unmasking Antifa. Huh? I hate this bill. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And I'm not a fan of Antifa, um, <laughs> but I, I, I cannot, it, it disgusts me. So why don't you uh, read, read the bill for these guys and then we'll talk about it. All right. Whoever, whether or not acting under color of law while in disguise, including while wearing a mask, injures, oppresses, threatens, or intimidates any person in any state, territory, commonwealth, possession, or district in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution or laws of the United States, or because of his having so exercised the same, shall be fined under this title Imprison not more than 15 years or both. It goes on to say, Section 1363 of Title 18, United States Code, is amended by adding at the end of the following, whoever during the commission of an offense under this section wears a disguise, including a mask, shall in addition to any term of imprisonment otherwise imposed under this section, be imprisoned for two years. And, and this just boggles my mind, how anyone especially in this climate could could possibly support this like right i know you're looking at the at, at antifa and they're wearing masks and they're breaking shit i get it but here's the thing when when things come to such a fever pitch it is important to be able to speak your mind and do it anonymously right putting a mask on at a protest when you could very well lose your job for your political beliefs or hell your religious beliefs, mm -hmm. um, that's an important thing. And I, I hate mask laws. I hate mask laws in, in cities that do it, uh, that just open it up for Halloween. Yeah. This is scary. This, mm -hmm. this, if anything that's coming out of the right right now has me scared of fascism, it's this. Mm -hmm. If you are wearing a mask at a protest and they say you've intimidated someone, done. 15 yeah. years, yeah. 15 years for, for standing at a protest and, and right, you're in power right now, but you're not going to be forever. Yeah. I, I know protest isn't necessarily your favorite tool, but it's important. Oh, and I this mean, is, they still use them. I mean, the anti-abortion protests and stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So right. Imagine a world where the left comes to power and people are being persecuted and losing their jobs because of their anti-abortion views, Right. They go to an anti-abortion protest, they lose their job. You put a mask on, all's good. No one can see. You can still voice your opinion. You can do your protest. Uh, we already have laws if they're assaulting people, uh, if they're harassing people. Once again, use the laws that exist. Yeah. Charge them for a crime. Hold them. Yeah, but, you don't, you but don't get to them with bonus time. It, making it a crime to wear the mask is really scary stuff. Not to mention... Uh, bandanas are often used to protect against tear gas. No, that's that's actually what I, I was going to say, is it is not unreasonable to imagine yourself at a peaceful protest 
and agent provocateurs, or or maybe it's Antifa right wing. Maybe Antifa people show up, right? And they start throwing batteries or picking a fight or whatever, and it starts, you know, descending into chaos. You were just there to peacefully protest, but now the cops have shown up. They fire tear gas in. You whip a bandana around your face to keep from breathing in the tear gas, and you get rounded up with everybody else, and guess what happens? 15 years. Yeah. So this is not okay. If, If this is the biggest threat to our democracy that we've seen in the Trump administration. I believe uh, mm-hmm. strongly, strongly this right here, unmasking Antifa, biggest threat to democracy, hands down. Well, I certainly think, again, it is a case of overcorrecting. Yes, I don't like some of the things the Antifa are doing, and I don't like things that they're supporting and stuff, but we can take care of it without, you know, we <laughs> we get ragged on all the time for saying throw the baby out with the bathwater a lot, but people are throwing the damn babies out right with out the with damn bathwater, bath man. That's right. It's it's happening a lot. And hey, you know you how know. they could have sold this to the left though? What's up? Unmasking the KKK. No, nah, that's true. Done. Sold in a minute. Yeah. No, I mean that that's that's an interesting thing to consider is because you could use this measure against the KKK, and it'll be really interesting to watch the squirming. When somebody says that to an Antifa member, when they, you know, when they're like, "No, this is this is just the wrong thing to do," and you know, hey, we could hit the KKK with it. Well, it, it, his head's probably going to explode like scanners <laughs> or something like that. So, with that said, I think we're going to cut the episode and kick it over to our fact checker extraordinaire, Beanzo, who's going to pick us apart with a fine tooth comb. Did we? Did we just? Are we cutting the episode on your head exploding like in scanners and junk? <laughs> Heck yeah, man! What a finishing line. Benzo, what do you got? Well, I'm impressed, fellas. I got to be honest with you. I didn't catch much wrong today. I think both me and the good people of Finland are still scratching our heads over since his pronunciation of Helsinki, and that Gucci fur was a cute touch. Hell, even Theory was on point today. I mean, Manafort's in trouble for witness tampering, not jury tampering. But at least you were in the ballpark, buddy. Just goes to show, fellas. You have the ability to produce a mostly factual, correct, and enlightening show. Well, well, thank you, Beans. No, no, not buying it. He's getting ready to drop the other shoe. Don't buy that. Mm-mm. Oh, come on, Theory. I can't tear you guys down all the time. I've got to call balls and strikes just like you guys. And today, you made a quality show. Yeah, Theory. Don't be an ass. Be, be a better man, remember? I really think Beans is offering us an olive branch here. The cake is a lie, bro. He's getting ready to pull the rug out. I'm telling you. Suit yourself, Theory. I'll repeat that I'm honestly impressed with today. I think you two should bask in your accomplishment and then see if it'll work every episode. If trying to cover your own ass for your Trump apologism is going to produce this kind of passion, well, maybe you guys should parlay shit. that into future That man success. is fueled by craft beers, anime, and hate. You're right. Taylor Swift. Hey folks, it's Theory of the Sins and Theory Podcast. Just wanted to take a second to thank you for continuing to listen and support the show. We really appreciate it. It means the world to us. Uh, if you get a chance, please go to iTunes, leave us a review, uh, like us. Uh, you know, it really helps a podcast uh, take off. And, uh, you know, get at us on the social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we're at all the usual places. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, feel free to email us at uh, senseandtheorypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, show ideas, suggestions, critiques, uh, condemnations, it's all good. Send it our way. Uh, we'll see you next week.